Happy Monday out there. How's it going? Welcome back to your favorite podcast. My name is Andrew Coon, sitting alongside Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew. How are you doing this I, Monday? Beautiful. I love Mondays. No one likes Mondays. I like Mondays. Okay. I like to start like to start my week off strong. So thank you. I'm doing great. Had a great weekend. Excited to be talking today. Uh, you are listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. Uh, if you want to get access to our website where we write about ideas, others write about ideas, individual investors, professional investors, people from all over the world, be sure to go to focuscompounding.com and sign up using the podcast promo code, which is podcast, and that will take some money off of your monthly price. Um, other than that, uh, we like I said, we want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in with us today, and we are excited to get going. We are going to be talking about what you classify as overlooked stocks. Okay. And typically when you classify overlooked stocks, you say spinoffs, net nets, near net nets, over the counter, illiquid stocks, or what you call dark stocks, which is stocks that don't follow with the SEC. Mm -hmm. And then also stocks that are emerging from bankruptcy. Okay. Did I miss any? No, that sounds like that's it. So that sounds like it. So overlooked stocks, do you think this is a good place for people to look for ideas? And if so, yeah. why? I think individuals should focus like 100% of their time on that, those categories. So individual investors, people with yeah. smaller sums of money mm -hmm. or bigger sums, but it's just, it's probably different if you're, when you're managing, managing your own money. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're managing a billion dollars, it may be different your strategy than if you're managing one to 10 or yeah, whatever. Yeah. When you're million. managing for clients versus yourself. Yeah. Uh huh. So why do you think this is a good place for people to start or to start, I guess, the? why do you think it's a good pond for people to fish in? I guess you could say, you know, using the terminology of market efficiency, these are more likely to be less efficient. Okay, not that they're necessarily likely to be cheap, but they're likely to be more things that are specific to business risk. So um, the concerns about the company specifically, your ability to handicap the situation for the company, than they are about market things mm -hmm. that are overall things about what uh, industries are in favor or out of favor, what you know those sorts of things that uh, you know with bigger stocks, more popular stocks, they move a lot with the market, they move a lot with trends and what sector and industry they're in, things like that. So do you think these companies kind of stand more on their own two feet? Mm -hmm. When you're investing them, and so obviously we've we've hit spinoffs. I think over the head a lot on this podcast. Yeah. For new listeners, um, it's you know it's spinoffs were sort of the main topic on. You could be a stock market genius, a book yeah. that obviously Jeff and I have really said is uh, probably one of the best investing books that you can read out there. Um, net nets for people that aren't familiar. What's a net net? Uh, net net is you take current assets, you subtract total liabilities. If that amount is higher than the market cap, then it's a net net. So you're saying, is it? Do you think the, this is a good spot for people to start? Because in theory, you sort of have more of a margin of safety because you have, in, in, if something were to happen in the business, it could uh, liquidate itself, and shareholders could potentially get more than what it's worth. Well, what I always say is that the important thing, as a investing in a public market, is to buy at a price that's lower than what a 100% buyer would pay for mm -hmm. the entire company to take it over. You know. Um, a net net is really always lower than what a, a total buyer would, would pay for it. Um, there, it's not always less than what you could liquidate it for. And maybe sometimes there's no one who wants to buy it, mm -hmm. but if there is someone who'd want to buy it, if someone wants to be in the business, they would pay at least that current asset value and really they pay higher. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about something that's priced in, in a public market at lower than it should be in a private uh, deal. Do you think that people can make the argument that they're net nets for a reason because they're sort of crummy companies or? Yeah. Or do you, you have certain make that argument. Like guidelines I mean, that you would. I mean, it doesn't hold up person. statistically. Uh -huh. You know, everything could be that for a reason, but net nets far outperform other kinds of investments. Um, do you know what they've done historically as a group? Uh, really well. 
I mean, I have some back tests and things, and yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, probably over the like last... better than the market? The last 20 years, probably they've outperformed the market by 15% a year. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's years where there's... In the U.S., there will be years where there's like... Well, actually, see, that's a good point. Like when I said the back test that I would do, that doesn't include Chinese stock frauds because I don't include companies that aren't in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That doesn't include companies that have uh, that don't have any profits. Mm-hmm. So if you mean, so you kind of take the general concept and enhance it a little bit with some additional by filters. using common sense. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> only someone writing an academic paper or something would be so critical, naive, yeah, sure. as to just have a strategy statistically that buys net nets and then says, oh, and we shouldn't eliminate things that are not actually American companies uh-huh. and that have not made any money. Got it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, would Ben Graham buy something that had never turned a profit? Probably not, no. Right, I mean, yeah. and value investors generally want it, but as a totally mechanical strategy, yeah, I guess uh-huh. you'd say that. So, yeah, what I'm saying is more of a common sense sort of thing. Um, I'm sure that their back tests, I mean, some back tests may show that it's better if you buy ones that are also unprofitable. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like um, Deep Value, or mm-hmm. is that the book that Tobias, or Tobias? Uh, yeah, that's what this one. A lot of the companies that come up on his screen look completely gross, I guess you could sure. say. And that, I mean, that's part of the strategy, right? You just buy a basket of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that they perform well, but there are plenty of net nets that. Uh, I mean, we wrote up, uh, so, um, we wrote up a Pendrel's a net net when I wrote up for the mm-hmm. the website. Um, I bought George Risk that was a net net. Uh, those are net cash. I bought five net nets in Japan that we so, talked about. So you think sticking in net nets, it's probably good to stick to companies that. What's your your screen for it? They have X amount of years of profitability. Usually, I buy it less than net cash, and they have a lot of profitability. Although we talked about Tandy, which is not a net net, but I would certainly buy that at if it became a net net, I would buy it. Uh huh. It wouldn't have to be net cash because it's a success, it's a successful company and has been for a long time. Uh huh. Interesting. Sure. And then near net nets, obviously. Well, Tandy is an example of what sure. I call a near net net. If you're trading within fifty percent of net current asset value, sure. And then over the counter stocks, do you think that sort of has a bad rep? Because yeah. I mean, you think like a lot of like um, pump pump and dumpers or whatever, like sure. penny stocks. People sort of associate that with over the counter stocks. Penny stocks are bad usually. Uh-huh. So liquid over-the-counter stocks are bad. Illiquid over-the-counter stocks are, are better. But again, this is the sort of thing about the difference between buying blindly and just using common sense. What I'm saying is you look. You, it's good to look in an area that has some of the worst stocks and some of the best stocks mm-hmm. instead of an area that has less of a, a wide distribution of outcomes, mm-hmm. right? So you look at over-the-counter stocks, and then you, instead of just buying randomly— um, you buy the good over-the-counter stocks. Sure. Right? And it really is using common sense and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So when we say over-the-counter stocks, um, uh, I mentioned George Risk, George Risk. That was an over-the-counter stock, uh, perfectly fine. Um, that We've written up plenty of them on, on Focus Compounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so, and then over-the-counter stocks and, and then illiquid stocks. And, and we've also, we've talked about it before, but illiquid microcaps have, perf- and we were just talking before we recorded, have rec- have performed I mean, way better than the market has. Yeah, I wrote a, a, I do a weekly memo that you can sign up at the website for free and you can get the weekly memo. Mm-hmm. But um, I wrote one. Uh, a liquid, an illiquid lunch. An illiquid lunch, exactly. Beach to it. And um, that was basically about how if you're willing to accept illiquidity in some of your stocks, um, you can get higher returns. Mm-hmm. And, and, and most the most sense from so most people have a portfolio that's like 100% liquid Mm -hmm. they could sell everything in their portfolio and not and without really moving the price at all because their holdings are very small compared to the daily volume well I'd say most people can certainly afford 
to have 50% of their portfolio in very illiquid things because you can always sell the 50% that's in liquid things if you need it. Mm -hmm. If you do that, your returns will go up a lot because other people are, are, are concerned about most people will not pay as much for an illiquid asset as they would for a liquid asset. I don't know why do you think, is it cause it just, it's a comfort thing. I mean, if you, if you truly are approaching investing in, if you uh, truly are approaching investing in public markets yeah. with a business oriented mindset, sure. you shouldn't care where the stock's going to be day to day or minute Absolutely. to minute or even quarter to quarter. So don't Absolutely. you think? And some of the illiquid ones doesn't even make sense because if you just have a month notice, sure. that you're going to sell it. Mm-hmm. The liquidity factor is not that important for for individual investors. Now, for funds and things, it's very important still. Yeah. But yeah, no, th- there's lots of them where the difference is I can sell it today and not affect the price, or I can take a month to sell it and not affect the price. I mean, I met someone once. He told me I could tell exactly where my portfolio is going to be just by checking what the market's doing. Every so, like the S and P five hundred. I'm like, do you like Mo- that? Why don't you just go by the a lot S- of people? Uh, yeah, just go by the SPY. I and mean, to me, that's not yeah. active invest. I mean, if you, I mean, I don't like the fact that. Um, if your stock is like so tied to the market that it's not standing on its own performance metrics or its mm-hmm. own two feet, you know? Yeah. So I, th- I think that there's a lot of advantage to investing in companies that are driven more by uh, business performance and specific things that have to do with the stock and not by things that have to do with the market. Sure. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And if you look, a lot of things I write up for the uh, website for focus compounding are illiquid in some way. Mm-hmm. Like I wrote about the timber company, which was having a catalyst thing going on with it, but it was also an illiquid stock. Uh, it was a dark stock, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to segue yeah, into my next one. So stocks that don't follow with the SEC, which is also known as dark stocks. Yeah, so technically that one's dark in that it doesn't follow with the SEC. <laughs> yeah, it, it's dark in that it doesn't follow with dark? the SEC. There could be a lot of reasons why they're dark. Um, so they uh, they were public at one time and filed with the SEC. They, they had 10Ks and things like that, and then, then they stopped. It's usually the case with these companies. Not always. Um, Isn't that kind of sketchy? No, it depends on the company. I, mm. I don't think it's that sketchy. I mentioned Chinese stock frauds. They all filed with the SEC. Yeah. A, a 10K doesn't help you that way. And some of these companies are are um, providing uh, audited financials. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that's another thing. People have a lot of... <laughs> what the SEC is doing is making sure that you have certain information about the company, basically. Mm-hmm. That's all that they're doing. Um, and it, I don't know. Like, for instance... We've talked before. There's some public companies that uh, there is a public company. I won't say what one it is, but it has an auditor that I don't like. I mean, not not just I don't like it. The auditor's been associated with other frauds. They file with the SEC. Mm-hmm. That auditor is the one auditing it. It says these are our audit financial stuff. How much faith do you put in that? Sure. Yeah. Right. What's the auditor? Uh, I'm not gonna say <laughs> what the auditor is, um, but because I think that uh, if I say the name of the auditor, that's the only public company that'll show up as being audited by them right now. Oh, really? Uh, pretty much. I think so. Maybe there's one other. I, I don't know exactly, but they don't audit a lot of public companies. So, um, uh, whereas there's there's some companies that don't file with the SEC that are perfectly good auditors. Um, and also, wh- normally people accept in quarterly releases and stuff, those numbers aren't audited. Mm-hmm. Those are unaudited financial statements. Sure. So, uh, it would be a concern if the company is actually dark. So, what I mean by actually dark is that they're not putting out public information. Mm-hmm. Like I wrote up computer, uh, no, actually someone else wrote up computer services, and, and then we've talked about it since then, um, which is CSI. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unfocused compounding. Unfocused compounding, yeah. That company does not file with the SEC. It has very extensive annual reports, letters to shareholders, gives you a packet of 10 years of financials. It has all the things that a public company would have. 
And if you invest in companies in other countries, they often have only the rules that, that basically this company is following. Do you think certain people sort of shy away from that because they have certain stipulations with their capital base? For example, if they're investing like pension fund or their investors like pension funds or endowments or whatever, they may stay away for, from investing in companies like these because... I like. You know, I think that people guidelines. like the rubber stamping of it that they have with all these. I mean, um, if a company's on the Nasdaq instead of being OTC, I think they like that. If it files with the SEC instead of not, I think they like that. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like you know Buffett said um, they they are invested in Moody's Berkshire, uh, and you know other people rely on the ratings that Moody's has. He would never rely on it when buying a bond. Sure, uh, but lots of people do, mm-hmm. and so I think they. People usually like it when there's a lot of other people have signed off on a, sure. a company and then you look into it. Sure, all these things are like the worst frauds and things will happen in each of these categories we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But there's, they should, it should not be difficult for you to tell the difference between the the pool of stocks in there that's fairly normal, decent companies and the pool that is very suspicious. You know, mm-hmm. um, the the reason for things like dark stocks being attractive is that it, many databases don't even include them and their financials even though you can find them so like if you run a screen they won't show up with certain stocks that don't file with the sec because Mm -hmm. like certain websites are pulling their data from the 10ks they pull their data directly from edgar so Mm -hmm. if they don't file with edgar then they don't have their data so their investors lots of investors are using screens instead of using edgar Uh Um, and even those who use edgar are only using what's on the sec stuff and you've seen you know that with a lot of hedge funds and stuff pull data from edgar they won't have any data on companies that don't file with the SEC. Sure. Got it. So we have spinoffs, net nets, near net nets, and these are all good spots for people to start looking for potential investments, mm-hmm. over-the-counter stocks, illiquid stocks, but we just talked about dark stocks. The last one that you suggested is stocks emerging from bankruptcy. Right. So that that would be... Um, Do you ever think it's good? Aren't there some situations where investing pre-bankruptcy or something, like sure. they could work out like that? Absolutely. So like, do you have any examples of that or... Uh, do I have examples of it? No, I don't invest that way. But you think that you think that well, investing pre or post bankruptcy because what they just kind of dealt away with. I mean, you they're going to become more public. They're going to in a lot of these cases. One thing that's happening is that the catalyst of the company is going to become more public and well known. Uh-huh. So a lot of um, investors won't invest in a company that is hasn't up hasn't listed on a major exchange um isn't as liquid all these other things that you know are going to happen mm-hmm. later well you, t- you talk about i mean sometimes post-bankruptcy the company could come out completely different like um hostess brands sure which hostess i mean brands you, is a good example because that's a bankruptcy yep and it's also uh it's also a vehicle that wasn't hostess brands mm-hmm. yeah, i mean what was i mean the business model afterwards was completely uh, completely different. So they used to employ a direct-to-store distribution model. Mm-hmm. So if you have like a Walmart in you know Plano and in Dallas and all these stores, mm-hmm. they would have to deliver it directly to the store. And now post-bankruptcy, they switched their model to direct-to-warehouse, um, or was, I forget the mm-hmm. actual technical term, but instead of just delivering it to each individual store, they would deliver to um, like the like Walmart's distribution center, right. Right? pretty much. So what that meant it was that they didn't have to have um, all the labor costs associated mm-hmm. with it, the truck drivers, the pension plans, um, fueling costs, and all that. So it was pretty much them coming out of bankruptcy, being a much leaner company this time around. Mm-hmm. You know, and so. they didn't go public in an IPO process. They uh-huh. went public by like a blank check company kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which in some ways also is that also sort of how Greenbrook partners is a reverse merger from a biofuel company that came out to be a home builder company so yeah I mean so those can be more interesting at that time they also may have a year or so before they have like clean financials of that company showing up they have some like NOLs that they could carry forward sure Hostess Brands also has the warrants Mm-hmm, that true. was part of that deal, which is uh, something that people may not look at and price, you know, mm-hmm. as as carefully. I think it's good companies coming out of bankruptcy because they're in bankruptcy for a reason, and a lot of times, like I guess, if you read the documents and figure out why they're in bankruptcy, mm-hmm. and if they're going to be different coming out of bankruptcy, you could find pretty interesting opportunities. Sure, there's some companies who are in bankruptcy for reasons that weren't really business reasons. There's some that has had asbestos and, and things like. Well, that. Well, it's like Hostess Brands. I mean, they're still doing a ton of revenue like it's not like the product people weren't eating the products it's just they were such a a bloated company because of the capital structure and, and mm-hmm. the certain models that they employed it was but it wasn't ever like a fact of people didn't like eating twinkies or mm-hmm. or um you know all their their products yeah yeah and that's a good example of what we're talking about overlook stocks because that's a well-known brand and everything mm-hmm. if it had been a company that was publicly traded for many years under the name twinkie and its ticker was twinkie mm-hmm. and you know all those sorts of things um, it would be well known and stuff by investors, but if it went through that, it's less well known, for, you know, for a while that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, so, should we talk about some ways that you can find these things yep. and what to look at? So, one of the best ways is blogs. So, oddball stocks. Um, you know, overlook stocks is practically a synonym. So, for oddball that stocks, um, focus compounding. Uh, uh, focus compounding. Yeah, if you remember focus compounding, you will get some of these. That's not our only focus, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I write. I know that I write them up quite a bit. Um, I think value and opportunity. I think he That's puts good. A, um, Clark Street Value. Yeah, Clark Street Value is excellent. Um, who else? You know? Clark Street Value is basically special situations, so it'll include a license, including emerging from bankruptcy type things. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all good. And then spinoffs, you can go to different websites that monitor spinoffs for you. Yep, stock, stock, uh, spinoffs.com or spinoffmonitor.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good spots, good spots. So for people looking to get access to um, you know potential spot starting spots to find um, interesting stocks uh, the, the what we call overlooked stocks or spin-offs net nets near net nets over the counter stocks illiquid stocks dark stocks and then stocks emerging from bankruptcy mm-hmm all good yep okay well we want to thank everybody for tuning in to our show today uh, you're listening to the focus compounding podcast if you want to get access to our website feel free to go to focuscompounding.com and use the podcast promo code which is podcast also if you do enjoy what we are talking about here feel free to give us um, a rating and a comment on itunes obviously uh, that is how itunes works it sort of helps us broaden our reach um, and that definitely helps us out. If you do want also a free memo from Jeff every Sunday, go to our homepage and type in your email and they'll add you to our distribution list where you will receive a 500 plus word memo from Jeff on investing principle every Sunday. All good. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. Have a great day and we'll see you all in the next podcast.